The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio. This is the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. All righty, let's uh, get this done. It is 7.07, just getting warmed up here on a Monday evening employment law show. Your questions help not only yourself, they answer uh, things for so many other people who uh, happen to listen to the show and gain the knowledge every week as well. 1-855-821-5900 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. Going to get to a bunch of things, possibly some email later on, John, but we always start with uh, the week that was. Brother, what's going on in your court? Well, uh, plenty going on with uh, in the employment law world and plenty to talk about today. So if anyone's listening and someone you know is having employment law issues, you've just lost your job or you're having issues at work and want to know your rights, now's the time to call. Now's the time where you can uh, speak to me for free and uh, we can uh, talk about your situation. So uh, first situation I want to talk about is actually someone who lives in a fairly remote Ontario community. Uh, who contacted me first uh, a few weeks ago. So I guess we can call this the weeks that was. Uh, This person had been working for a large manufacturing plant in the role of a supervisor. And here's the interesting part. Uh, They've been working at this organization since they were 18 years old. They're now 50. So do the math. This is a very long service employee. Uh, Recently, his employment was terminated because one of the new machines broke down after a mistake that he made in locking it down uh, the previous uh, shift. So the company sat him down for an interview after it happened, and, he, and he's very remorseful, and he says, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, it's a fairly new machine, I'm still getting used to it, it'll never happen again. And so the company says, the human resources manager, that is, says, uh, well, yes, thank you very much for your honesty, we appreciate it. And uh, life goes on, two weeks later, he's called into a meeting, uh, and there's some other people there who he doesn't recognize, and he's asked to sign a statement confirming what he told them. So he figures, okay, well, sure, this is the truth. Yes, I'm responsible for what happened. Yes, it was a mistake. Yes, I know company policy. Yes, 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 yes. Signs off on it. The next day, of course, what do you think happens? What do you think happened here, John? I'll got give you. What's that? <laughs> he got dusted. He got dusted. Not only terminated, but terminated yep. for cause. Yep. Uh, and not paid anything. Now let's let's think about this for just a moment. This is someone who worked for you know like thirty years, thirty two years, uh, for the same company, um, and he's let go because he makes one mistake, which he immediately fesses up to and expresses remorse. Now, you'd better believe we're going to be pursuing a severance package for this person. Not only is this not just cause, but after working for the same company his whole life, 32 years, do you think this person's going to find another job anytime soon? Not a chance, especially because it's a cause termination. They, of course, did not offer him a reference letter. So this is going to be ultimately a straightforward matter to resolve You know, once we cut through all the nonsense here, uh, and there's going to be a very significant bill to pay uh, by this company for what they've done here. We're going to get to everything you need to know about medical leaves. What else is uh, going on, pal? Well, the second situation is a little more straightforward. Uh, this was actually someone who did come with, to me in the past week or so, uh, a salesperson who'd been employed at the company for a long time, 20 years. Uh, and he's uh, let go on a without-cause basis and was offered the bare minimum under the Employment Standards Act, which for this company was 28 weeks pay and 8 weeks benefits. <clears throat> and he says to them, well, well hang on a second. 20 years, and you give me just over six months' pay? 
Yeah. What's what's that all about? And they say, well, you remember that raise we gave you last year? You remember that letter you signed for that raise last year? Well, that letter had a termination clause that we snuck in 12 clauses in. So actually, all we owe you is the bare minimum. So I take I took a look at this termination clause uh, for this individual, and it took me all of 30 seconds to determine it was completely illegal, not enforceable for a variety of reasons, not compliant with the act at all. Uh, so this person was entitled to anywhere from 18 months to 20 months pay, and and this I anticipate is actually going to be a very straightforward uh, matter for us to resolve. So just for our listeners, remember that even if your employer is citing a termination clause, you want to have that reviewed at the time of termination because. If the termination clause is non-enforceable, like the vast majority uh, of them, I find, are not, uh, then you're going to be owed a significant amount more for severance, and we can help you get that. Yeah, especially if you're uh, you're asked, even though you shouldn't until they talk to you, but if you're asked to sign something, a new employment contract midstream of employment, I mean, the language has got to be fairly specific. It couldn't be worth not the paper it's written on if they do it incorrectly, right? It, right. There's a variety of reasons that it could not be enforceable, especially if they're not giving you anything new in exchange for that, um, or there, or in many cases, it's they are giving you something new. In this case, uh, you know, a, a raise, but um, they didn't give him. Uh, well, they they put in an illegal termination clause. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons that can be unenforceable. But if you are signing something uh, midway through employment, really question why they're giving it to you. You know, why all of a sudden am I being asked to sign something where I didn't have to sign something in the past? And is it is is the devil in the details? And that's what an employment lawyer can help you figure out. And that uh, to that note, uh, 1-855-821-5900. That is to reach John after the show anytime. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. But as we roll on here, everything you need to know about medical leaves. Number one, how long, this is always, you know, one of the first questions you'll get who, for someone who hasn't been on a medical leave yet, but how long and you'd be away from work for medical reasons. So this is a really important question, and I actually think this is a very important topic, particularly right now, because as as uh, many oh, people yeah. will know, right now there is a you know a three day paid sick leave um, that uh, has been uh, legislated by the Ontario government, which means that you can get three days paid time off, and then the employer can apply to WSIB for rebates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, that does not mean you are only allowed to be sick for three days. And a lot of people believe that, especially because the Employment Standards Act, even before this uh, paid leave, had three unpaid days uh, of sick leave per year, which is, um, I, I think, in some ways unfortunate because it gives employees the wrong impression. Right? It gives many employees the idea that, well, if I'm sick for longer than three days, well, even if I'm not feeling well, um, I have to go back to work, which is hugely damaging um, to yourself and in the current environment to every potentially everyone around you. So let's just be clear about that. You stay home as long as your doctor advises you to stay home. You stay home as long as you're receiving medical advice to stay home. And if your employer terminates your employment because they don't like that you're staying longer than th- than three days, they're going to owe you severance and they've just committed a human rights violation. So this is important for employers to hear too. Um, it's very difficult for employers in many cases uh, to account for people who are sick, but unfortunately that just goes with the territory. You know, if you have employees and employees get sick, you're going to need to account for their absences, and in some cases that means hiring people temporarily. So if you are, especially in the current environment, in a pandemic, if you are feeling sick and you need to stay home, stay home. You, if you need to get a note, um, you can do it th- probably through Zoom or over the phone um, and uh, make sure you, you give that to your employer and just keep your employer updated. Remember, it's not the three days in the Employment Standards Act that means you're only allowed to be sick for three days. It just means you're only going to be paid for three days. 
if you're on uh, disability benefits, your entitlement doesn't end because your disability benefits are denied also. Uh, because just because you may not qualify for disability benefits uh, means it does not mean you're not necessarily able to be off work. So I know that's a long answer, John, but it's an important question, and I think everyone really, really needs to know this. It's very important information. We'll get to the first call before we uh, take a break. Hey, Charlie, thanks for standing by. How are you? I'm fine tonight, Scott. Uh, first question uh, regarding vacation pay. I'm a snowplow operator in the winter months. I work for a contractor that does the roads for the Ontario government. Uh, this company I'm currently working for say I'm not entitled to 4% vacation pay on my standby allowance. We get paid an allowance to be available 24-7 throughout the winter months. Previous companies have paid me the 4%. This current company is not. Okay. Now, just uh, one uh, one question for you there. Are, are you working there as uh, in the capacity of an employee, or are they pay, or are they, or you issue them a fee and they pay HST and that kind of thing? Uh, no, we. I'm, I work as an employee. I have a contract that runs six months of the year, from October until April. Okay. They don't get recalled. I get recalled in the fall. Right. Right. And have they told you that they're relying on some specific exemption to avoid paying you vacation pay? Yes, they are. I'm not sure exactly what the exemption is for because the contracts change over the years. This is the third company I worked for doing the same area. The previous two companies have always paid the 4%. This current company is not paying the 4%. Right. Well, um, you know, I'd have to know a little bit more um, about, your, uh, about your job, but... Um, this certainly doesn't strike me as one of the categories uh, where there would be um, an exemption uh, to vacation pay, although there are certain professions uh, where there are exemptions uh, to vacation pay. Um, uh, for example, you know, if you're an architect uh, or sort of various, you know, different professionals, and um, there's, there's, there are certain exemptions. But if you are a snowplow um, operator, you said? Yes, you see us on the 427 and the QEW all the time. Right, right. Um, well, uh, I mean, there there are certain rules for uh, municipal employees, but generally speaking, loss of vacation pay is not one of them. So what I would recommend that you do, um, this is actually one of those few situations where I say you don't necessarily need a lawyer. So I would uh, actually give the Ministry of Labor a call uh, and let them know that you're not being paid vacation pay. Um, and it, describe your position doesn't seem to fall into any exemption. And if necessary, you know, and there still ref and the company's still refusing, you can bring um, an application to the Employment Standards Branch, uh, which you can just look up online. You can submit the form and say, you know, I'm owed vacation pay. Charlie, appreciate the call, my friend. Got to let you go. We got to take a short break. Uh, Spencer, stand by. You're up next, and we'll return. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. 
Back at it, schools here with John Pincus. He's doing all the heavy lifting. I simply say, hello, what is your question? He's got to do all the work. But, hey, that's why you make the big bucks, brother. Ask your questions. Don't be bashful. Spencer, thanks for hanging on. How are you? Yeah, not bad. How about yourselves? Beauty, still fogging up a mirror, brother. What's uh, what's on your mind? I was just wondering if those uh, three paid sick days also apply to the automotive industry as well. Uh, three paid sick days, um, as far as we know so far, uh, apply across the board. Um, I, I think, uh, generally speaking, the only time that you're going to see an exemption um, to leaves of absence and sick days and that kind of thing is if you're in a profession where, uh, for example, if you're in you know, emergency services where you, you may have to attend because of an emergency, um, but in the automotive industry, no, I can't imagine there'd be any such exemption for that. So um, certainly if uh, you fall ill um, and uh, you need to avail yourself of sick days, I would be uh, um, asking your employer to uh, provide the pay. Because yeah, there uh, have been in the past. Pardon? Because there have been uh, exemptions uh, in the past. Uh, I think on the uh, previous uh one paid sick day, uh, leave day uh, a few years back. The automotive industry was exempted from that for some reason. Uh, right. Well, right now um, your uh, your entitlement is um, uh, under Section 50 uh, of the Employment Standards Act. And um, as, as far as we know right now, I don't believe there's any uh, such exemption uh, for the automotive industry. And okay. And remember as well that even if your employer is refusing to grant you paid sick days, you're certainly not exempt from taking a sick leave if you need one, right? You can mm-hmm. always take that. Always. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Spencer. Appreciate your time. And you want to have a further conversation with uh, with John, you could do so. The other John, not me. That's uh, 1-855-821-5900. one 821 5900 In the meantime, brother, back to uh, what we were talking about, everything you need to know about medical leaves. Let me ask you this. Does an employer have the right to ask an employee for what their medical information is and a diagnosis? Diagnosis, how about that? Well, no, not a diagnosis, but the employer certainly can ask certain questions. So an employer does have a right um, to ask questions about the accommodation process and about what that uh, return to work is going to look like, what the prognosis is going to look like. So often you'll see things like a cognitive evaluation form or functional abilities form to get information about the nature of the restrictions uh, that you have. There can be quite a bit of detail on that. What accommodation may be necessary, um, how long you are uh, expected to be off, and uh, when you will next be assessed. Now, in rare cases, uh, an employer may also be able to ask for an uh, independent uh, medical exam. Um, An employer, though, can only do this if there's conflicting medical information, if there's a genuine reason for suspicion. And this is going to be more the exception than the rule. Um, So generally speaking, if you're being asked about your diagnosis, that's probably going to be offside. Uh, the and, and I would say, look, um, I can provide you the nature of the accommodations I'm going to need. Um, I can tell you when I'm next going to be reassessed and how long I expect I'll need to be off. But that's pretty well it for the most part. So you're okay to ask as an employer, prognosis is fine. Diagnosis is off limits, right? Because they got to run speaking, a business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What happens to an employee's job while they're on that medical leave? I mean, do they should they or do they have to regularly update their employer on their condition, even for, even for a short-term one, not necessarily a couple of years? 
You you do. I mean, you don't need to be emailing your employer every day and saying, here's how I'm feeling today, here's how I'm feeling today. Uh, but I, I usually like to say about four to six weeks, you want to be in, uh, connecting with them and say, okay, here's my next doctor's appointment. If they know when your next doctor's appointment is, then you just contact them after the next doctor's appointment. But you usually right. uh, would be, I would expect you'd be sort of checking in with your doctor uh, once every month or two. And that's when you want to let your employer know um, that... Um, that you are still in need of a medical leave and you have a duty to cooperate and make sure to answer your employer's inquiries and it's always always good practice um, as an employee to do that so that there's no allegations later on that you abandoned your job although I will say that employers uh, should not assume that just because an employee has not gotten back to them that they can say oh I guess they've quit I guess they've abandoned their job and in right. fact just last year an employer uh, got dinged by uh, the Ontario courts for doing that uh, so you do have to be careful as an employer that you certainly have a right to reach out to your employee to ask them to provide you uh, medical ev evidence and, or a medical update rather and as an employee it is definitely good practice to do this as much as possible but at the same time, a company just can't say, well, we haven't had an update in a while, so it's, uh, you know, they've abandoned their employment. That's going to be uh, a big problem for the employer if they do that. Jeff, you're, uh, you're up next, pal. How are you? I'm okay. Good. What's going on? Okay, so I'm being forced to tell my employer uh, private information about me that doesn't have to do with work. So from, I just want to be clear on what the law is. From what I understand, the law is that you don't have to tell your employer anything that they're not asking of you. There, that, so the, is that correct, or is there gray area there? Or? Sorry, what what are what are the nature of the questions that you're being asked? Okay, so um, I'm being forced to show uh, my employer. Uh, a background check that I've done that um, revealed uh, that I had a divorce like 13 years ago, which led to me uh, having a record. So I'm being forced to show uh, to show this to my employer, or uh, they're not they're, or or lose my job. Uh, and this is your this is your current employer. So this is someone you're already working for, and and. Was there something that triggered this? It was, was Did something happen at work? Okay, so um, I recently got my, um, my insurance broker license. Or I recently passed the test to become an insurance broker in Ontario. Mm -hmm. I've been studying. I, was, I studied for like three to four years. I passed the test in December uh, to become an insurance broker uh, in Ontario. Uh, you have to be licensed. Uh, uh, to get to be an insurance broker in Ontario for things like auto insurance or home insurance. So uh, they're holding my license ransom, uh, basically, unless I tell my employer or, or show my, uh, unless I tell my employer in regards to my uh, background check, which I would offer a job I signed a I signed a, an employee a, a conduct sheet with uh, with the place that I'm currently working that they're happy with. My lord, my my employer has never asked me to produce a background check or anything like that. But uh, Rebo Rebo is the uh, the registered insurance brokers of Ontario. They're holding my license ransom unless I uh, explain to my lawyer. Uh, my background check, which has to shows my divorce that I have 
that I had years ago, which led to like me, uh, which led to a charge that I got from 13 years ago. So oh, my okay. parents are not asking me to see this, but they're not giving me my license unless I show it to, unless I uh, show my employer this background check that I did. Okay, so I, I think this is going to be a longer discussion, but here's what I can tell you at the outset. So generally speaking, criminal record checks are legal, and employers in Ontario um, are able to conduct that. Now, there are certain protections and certain uh, for, for certain people and certain employees um, or, or certain sectors uh, of the population that... Um, don't have to disclose uh, their records or don't have to disclose um, well, no, certain see, that's records. The thing. I don't have a problem with disclosing it to my employer, but he didn't. He didn't ask. Me. He didn't. He's not asking me to see it. But um, the Rebo, the insurance broker's license of Ontario, they're refusing to give me my license unless I tell, unless I voluntarily tell my employer and show him this record, like. I, I did a background check to, to write the exam in order to, to, in order to pass the exam so I can become a, an insurance broker in Ontario. So it's on record. So, and every employer knows that. You can't, write, you can't write this exam without performing a background check. So, so if it's the insurance broker that is requiring you to disclose the uh, background check, uh, then... Um, that uh, that is something that your employer technically doesn't have control over, uh, and if your employer doesn't have uh, control over that, then that's not really something that you can hold against the employer. If this is a requirement of your job, and this is what um, this is what the insurer requires, and again, background checks are generally uh, legal then I'm not sure you're going to have any recourse here. Again, I think that uh, we may be able to look into whether you, you would fall into some of the exemptions, but based on what you've described just at the outset, doesn't strike me as something that would necessarily uh, create an exemption um, to save you from um, doing this in order to get the license. Jeff, appreciate that, pal. Got to, uh, got to keep moving on here. We had uh, Christine standing by, but she got disconnected and reaching out through email anytime, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And I uh, want to tell you as well, free and absolutely anonymous, the website pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is fantastic as well. We were chatting about uh, you know a variety of things, John, before the break, including everything you need to know about medical leaves. Now, what should someone do if they are not, they aren't approved for disability coverage or LTD or their claim is cut off? And I only ask you that because I know you have some experience at it and the other 50% of what the firm does is disability law. So you've, uh, you know, there's a lot of crossover between the two, right? That's right. There is a lot of crossover and I work very closely with our disability team. Um, and so if someone comes to me and they haven't been approved for disability coverage, the first thing I do is I get them connected uh, with that person. Um, and once uh, you speak with a disability lawyer, the, the focus is definitely going to be on getting your LTD coverage. LTD coverage is usually worth um, many times more uh, than severance if you uh, happen to have been wrongly denied that LTD coverage. Now, the main thing is you should not be um, f feeling forced to return to work just because you've been uh, denied um, LTD coverage. Again, you listen to the advice of your doctor, and as long as they say that you should be off work, you stay off work. You know, we talked about uh, keeping in touch with your employer for, uh, you know, during your medical leave, whether it's a reasonably small or even a short one for that matter, check in every month or so, let them know that you're 
doing your best to get back to work. Now, you've gone through that period. What should that employee do when they are ready to return to work from a medical leave? Well, simply that the first thing you should do is let your employer know. And I would let them do it in writing, or, and I would let them know in writing, rather, because if you don't let them know in writing, you you always risk, you know, the employer saying, well, you know, we really didn't know, you didn't talk to us, you didn't call us, or I don't remember speaking to you, so put it in writing, send them an email saying, hey, I'm ready to go back to work, what, what day can I come back? Now, if you have restrictions, this is the time to let them know. You want to get a doctor's note. You want to say, here are the restrictions. Here's how long they're going to need to be in place. And then you have to work with the employer and cooperate um, into, you know, what is uh, feasible. So you're ready to come back. Employer goes, oh, wait, I don't think it's going to happen that way. What about that? We'll get to that one in just a sip. I want to get to Christine on the air. Christine, sorry we cut you off there. How are you tonight? Good. How are you? Excellent. What's on your mind? So just a quick question. So I work for a cleaning company and during the start of the pandemic, there was like the law in Toronto that uh, said, you know, for cleaning companies, you can only clean for vulnerable people and and certain restrictions. But in their opinion, um, a vulnerable person generally means somebody who is works from home and is stressed and um, they need a a cleaner. And, And to me, that kind of just seemed kind of like an excuse in a way. I'm not sure if that's considered a vulnerable person or not, but for me, um, my concern is, is to have to go into these, these uh, clients' homes in which don't necessarily need our services, and it just kind of makes me worry that potentially cross-contamination and stuff like that, whereas other clients that I go to, I know that they are vulnerable people um, or elderly, so I know exactly who I'm going to and what I'm getting myself into. Um, and I guess my, my question in regards to that is, is a vulnerable person somebody who is stressed? Well, I, I can't speak to that definition per se, but remember when we're talking about safety in the workplace, we're not necessarily talking about the ideal, right? We're not talking about, you know, it would be ideal um, if we uh, only worked with uh, the absolute bare minimum because right. companies have the right to operate within, uh, within you know, provincially uh, approved safe guidelines. So as long as they are operating in accordance with what the province has deemed, you know, this is safe, we, PPE can be used, even if it's not ideal, unless the uh, uh, Occupational Health and Safety Department or an inspector of the uh, uh, OHS um, says, this is not safe and I'm going to issue an order, then an right. employer can require you to do things even if they're not, you know, strictly, you know, emergency services, right? We have a lot of uh, businesses operating right now that are not strictly speaking emergency services, but because they can be done safely um, yeah. and because, you know, they've been deemed, uh, you know, essential in, in some way to the functioning economy or whatnot, um, then they are um, allowed to continue. Perfect. And I guess my other question is, um, like, so had come into a situation where, I had a client who was on a biweekly basis and their clean had been canceled. Um, and I, I didn't kind of put two and two together until I went to the service again. And he had informed us that he had um, COVID and um, my employer didn't inform us about anything. And I was just wondering if there was anything I could do in regards to that. Um, just, I guess, because being put in that situation and not knowing exactly that this client had COVID previously, 
kind of put me in a in a pretty risky situation. And my employer just kind of said, you know, those are things that you don't necessarily need to know if it has been a substantial amount of time from them having it. But I just get worried that maybe they could withhold information from me in, in regards to who has had COVID. Well, the issue here is this is technically um, more an issue between the employer and the government, right? So if um, someone in the workplace um, is has shown symptoms or has been um, uh, contacted or contracted COVID, uh, then the employer should be contacting the local public health unit. Um, yeah. And um, they should also potentially be contacting the Ministry of Labor. Um, and if there's a workplace joint health and safety committee, uh, they should be involved. Um, and if there is a work-related, you know, if there's an employee who's contracted uh, COVID-19, then um, and it's and it was on the job, then a claim also has to be filed with WSIB. So I think, you know, as far as you as, as a, you know, as an individual working in that environment, I think you just want to have as much open communication as possible with your employer and say, hey, look, I want to make sure we're able to do po- proper contract tracing and separation and whatnot. Um, and just make sure you're using the appropriate PPE. And if you are ever uncomfortable, uh, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to contact uh, the Ministry of Labor. Perfect. All right, I'll make sure to do that next time I ever am in a sticky situation. Right. That's right. Yeah. Awesome, Christine. Thank you so much. And if you have any more questions for John, here is how you uh, you reach out when the show's not on air. That's simple. one 821 5900 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. So, yeah, we're talking about uh, things you need to know and uh, it has to do with medical leaves in your employment. So you've been on a medical leave. You're ready to come back. And the employer says, not so fast. And they don't want to bring you back. What do you do now? Well, the first question is going to be, do they just not want to bring you back? Or can they really not physically uh, bring you back? Right? Because if there's no way to bring you back in light of the accommodations that you need, you may just need to hang tight until your, until your condition subsides such that they're able to accommodate you. Right? If, they're, if they're approaching in good faith, they really can't accommodate you. It's really an, you know, what we call an undue hardship to accommodate you. Then you may be stuck on, on, a, on a leave of absence until you're better enough to go back to your duties as usual. Now, if the accommodations you are asking for are something the employer can do and they just won't, or you don't need any accommodations and they just said, no, no, we've replaced you because you were gone for so long, well, then it becomes a human rights violation and then it becomes a wrongful dismissal um, and you're going to be entitled to you know, potentially significant uh, termination pay and, some, um, and potentially some human rights uh, damages. So again... Uh, the question is, is is really, what is your employer doing here? Are they just not bringing you back because they don't feel like it or because it's inconvenient, or is it really not possible for them to do that? I want to get to a, a couple of emails here in the last couple of minutes of the show. We'll get to uh, to Jesse. Jesse says, hey, guys, I was terminated from my employment a year ago. and Given a bad severance package, is it too late to do anything about it? No, absolutely not, Jesse. It is not too late. You have two years uh, from the date uh, you uh, were let go, and in actually, in some cases, there's been um, some extensions of that uh, because of uh, COVID. Although, for you know, for all intents and purposes, do not ever wait longer than two years. In fact, don't ever wait two years. Don't ever wait. You know, 22 months. Do it as soon as possible. But certainly, um, if you were let go from your employment a year ago, um, you are still well within that limitation period, which runs two years from the date you get your notice of termination. 
Leanne says, guys, I quit my job after earning my bonus, but my employer won't pay it because uh, they say I wasn't working when it was paid out to everyone else. Is that even legal? Very, very common thing. Uh, happens very often where an employer will cite a policy, right? They'll say, well, we have this policy that says you have to be actively employed to get your bonus. The question there becomes, did they actually bring that to your attention, right? Because if you knew about it, maybe, I'm guessing, you may not have quit your job when you did. You may have waited until the payout date. So the employer here has to prove that they actually brought it to your attention, and, and, and they actually have to take some pretty significant measures to bring it to your attention. Um, so that's going to be the question here. And if they have not done that, uh, and you really were blindsided by this, then they're going to owe you the bonus, and I would strongly recommend that you give us a call to talk about it. That, by the way, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Uh, Amanda's got an email. Oh, quick, you know what? We'll try to get a call in here with our last couple minutes of the show. Ian, just slid it in there in time. What's uh, what's going on with you? Yeah, Mr. Pinkus. Uh, I love listening to you guys, man. Anyway, uh, my heart... No worries. My brother-in-law. So anyway, he, uh, he, he's been working for 22 years as a machinist. He's a fantastic machinist. So anyway, during his doing one machine job, they come over, a new, a new, a new manager... Says, hey, listen, sign these papers. It's for your new benefits and stuff. So anyway, he signs them. He goes back to work. Two and a half a million dollar job. So anyway, two weeks later, they come over and they say, hey, listen, you screwed up the half million dollar job. We got to let you go. He goes, what? He goes, we got to let you go. And we're giving you a week, a year. Wow. Wow. Okay, well, um, yeah, I, I would strongly recommend, you said this was your brother-in-law, I think, um, that uh, he gives us a call as soon as possible because this sounds very similar to the situation that I uh, described at the top of the hour here, and this is typically a situation where we can help. Now, I'd have to see what it is exactly that he signed, uh, but there's a very good chance that uh, what he signed uh, is not going to be enforceable. And after 22 years, he's going to be entitled to, a, a, you can imagine, a, a significant amount of severance. So I'd recommend that uh, he gives us a call right away. Happy to help him. Ian, appreciate that. And with that, we're going to wrap it up for the evening. You want to reach out now, do it. one 821 5900 the number to reach Mr. Pickus anytime. You can go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, even before the phone call. There is so much information on the website. It's absolutely free and anonymous. But you want to make that call, one 855 And finally, the email address we always pull from, that is help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll be back here Wednesday night doing the same thing. But don't go anywhere. Alex Pearson coming right back. On Point continues. Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio.